In Romans chapter uh, 12, verse 14, it says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Father, again, we have been singing much of our offering to you. We know from Romans that we are a living sacrifice. You called us to surrender our lives. And now, as we have surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ and we have his life living through us, you tell us to continue to surrender, to continue to walk by your Spirit, to continue to be filled by your Spirit so that we might be able to do what in our own unredeemed flesh would have been impossible. And that is to bless those who persecute us and not to curse. Father, we know that this Christian life that we walk is is only able to be done as we are empowered by the Spirit of God. And we ask as we look at your word that we would not rationalize it away. That we would not come to it and somehow think, well, no, I can't do this. I can't do it the way that God has said it. Lord, help us to understand that as we walk with you, you give us that supernatural ability to do what you tell us to do. And so I ask that you would prepare our hearts to be able to bless. Prepare our hearts so that as we take, partake of the communion table and as we are proclaiming that we are unified with each other as well as you, that we are in fellowship with you, that indeed that would be true. Lord, we ask that if there is anyone here that has never received you, never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that today might be their salvation, that they would receive. And Lord, again, that we might be able to say and know that we are walking with you in spirit and truth. Guide us now for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Bless those who persecute you. A couple years ago, in the voice of martyrs, this picture appeared on the front cover. And she's always been in my mind. I don't know why. I just... I always go back, I've seen her picture many times. This last week as I was preparing for Bless Those Who Persecute You, I thought about her again. Her name is Jubilina. This is what one person wrote of her. By the way, she was badly burned after an attack by Muslims on her Christian village. He writes, her skin is splotchy and ranges in color from light brown to red to white. Much of it is leathery. Her nose is disfigured. She has a purplish-colored patch of skin in between her bottom lip and the bottom of her chin. Her upper lip is peeling. Her left eye is white and red, and her pupil no longer sees. But she is smiling, a huge smile. Joy radiates from her. Why? She must receive stares. Children are probably afraid of her. The world would call her damaged, ugly. But she is smiling. Yubelina has figured out where her identity lies. She is a treasured child of the king. She has traded a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. As Isaiah says, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. Yubelina is beautiful. I guarantee she has joy, a contentment that no brand, no trendy clothing, no perfect haircut or makeup, no flawless skin or toned body can bring. She is truly beautiful. She is truly beautiful because it's the joy of the Lord. 
But I bring her up, you can, because, again, I kept going back to this verse in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. It is in the imperative. (laughs) It means God is not making a suggestion. And immediately I kept saying, Lord, that is so hard. That is so impossible. I get frustrated and irritated with people that are actually my friends. What about those who persecute me? Again, you have to go back and understand the entire context of where we've been. And though we haven't covered all of Romans 12, verses chapters 1 through 11, in chapters 1 through 11, we, we see that a un, an unbeliever, a person who is not saved, a person who is actually at enmity with God, can be brought to God the Father through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That a man can be justified, a woman can be justified because of their faith in Jesus Christ of what he did on the cross. That if a person recognizes their sin, recognizes that their sin condemns them before God the Father, the holy just God, that as we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he did on the cross, we can be forgiven, we can be justified, we are brought into the family of God. Now think about that. You've been brought from death to life. You've been brought from darkness to light. And that is a huge piece as, as, he, as Paul moves his way to verse 14 when he says, bless those who persecute you. So not, all, not only have we been saved, but then God says, and now you are a living sacrifice, verse 1. We are a living sacrifice. We are no longer dead. We are living, spiritually living, and as such we can have the supernatural life of God's Spirit working through us, empowering us, doing what we could not do in our unredeemed flesh, but also not doing what we cannot do on our own even as a Christian. I want you to get that. What Paul is talking about in verses 14, and we'll be looking at this for a few weeks, to 21, is he's saying this is, this is truly the supernatural life being lived out in your life. That as you receive Christ, as you're redeemed, as you're a living sacrifice, as the Spirit of God is working through you and empowering you, you can truly bless those who persecute you. In fact, I think it would be good, because it's such a short verse, that we actually say it together in the New King James, okay? Let's say it together. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That's only ten words. Most of you could walk out today and know that passage, right? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Again, we can say it easily. Impossible to live out without the Spirit of God working through our lives. It's not a popular message. Again, it... We have a tendency to push back on from our flesh. I mean, the world would say this, do unto others before they do it unto you. Strike first. Now again, this is the book of Romans. Now think about this. this to the Christians who are in Rome. One man wrote this, The believers in Rome were blamed for a fire that swept through the city. As a result, the emperor Nero had scores of Christians slaughtered. And you know that story. Another one said, As a result, excuse me, uh, Nero wrapped, this is what he would do, Nero would wrap Christians in pitch and set them alight and use them as living torches to light his gardens. Another thing he did, he'd sew them into skins of wild animals and set his hunting dogs upon them to tear them to death. 
They were tortured on the rack. They were scraped with pinchers. Molten lead was poured hissing upon them. Eyes were torn out. Parts of their bodies were cut off and roasted before their eyes. Their hands and their feet were burned while cold water was poured over them to lengthen the agony. These things are not pleasant to think about, he writes, but these are the things a man had to be prepared to do if he took his stand with Christ. How many of you have had someone in your life that you just couldn't stand? Now, think about that. Was it that bad that you had that frustration or that hatred that you just couldn't stand? Well, probably not that bad. In fact, I'm sure it wasn't that bad. And yet, God tells us, Paul tells us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And I just keep saying, Lord, how does that, how? I want to be obedient to you, Lord. When you tell me to love other people, love my wife, that's, that's, yeah, that's not always easy, I would say, but, but that's easy in comparison to love my enemies. It's certainly easy in comparison to not only love, but then bless. Bless even has a, has a different uh, ring to it, as it were. Again, totally contrary to the unredeemed human nature. Well, in the short time we have, let's just break this apart into two pieces. The first one is what we as Christians are to do. Okay? If you have an outline, you can uh, fill in our. This this is the positive side. Again, bless those who persecute you, those who hurt you. The word bless, notice in this passage, appears twice. Bless and bless and do not curse. Again, he wants to underscore it. He, he wants to make sure that somehow we don't think, well, I didn't quite see it. <laughs> I kind of missed that one, Lord. I didn't realize and understand exactly what you were talking about, so I didn't have to bless. No, he underscores it. He underscores it both times with a present imperative, which means you need to continually, out of a command, bless those who persecute you. Bless your enemies. The word bless is euglogio. You, well, uh, speak. Logos we get. So speak well of. That's speak well of another person. That's what he's mean by bless. Speak well. We get the word eulogize. Now again, eulogize, you find that at funerals. In a few hours from now, we're going to be uh, remembering Margie. By the way, it's easy to eulogize Margie. It is easy to speak well of her. Uh, I miss her. I miss her hugs. I miss her good words that she would tell me. She was always an encourager to me. So, bless means to eulogize. Now, again, we think of it in, in the sense of a funeral, but here he's talking about the living. Again, those who are living, who are hurting you. It means this, to bless another is to ask God to do him good. Now, that's what it means. It's asking God to do this person good. Now again, it's to ask God not only to do him good, to show grace, to show mercy. Lord, shower upon this person what I would want to have showered upon myself. Do you see how impossible this is? 
very, very difficult. Again, let's admit it's, it's easy to praise someone who pleases you. All of you have people in your life that you just say, oh, it's easy to bless that person. But again, this is something we push against. Those who hurt us, those who malign us, those who may even want to kill us, you want us to bless them. Bless, the idea is verbal, and it's not just necessarily talking to them. Most of this has to do with how you would talk to God about them. That you would be asking God to bless them. Those who hurt us, those who revile us, those who slander us, those who wound us. I don't know who that is in your life. I would say we all have one or two or three or four of these type of people. I would assume that you do. Because God uses these type of people to mature you. And how you approach these people will determine whether or not you're getting the full advantage of what God wants to do in your life. See, if you run away from them, or if you curse them, or if you are impatient and do not show love towards them, then what God wanted to do in your life to mature you in this area, it falls on um, uh, barren ground. You won't learn. You won't, you won't mature like you ought to. But, but again, if, if, you, if you do what God wants you to do, He's going to mature you through this, because you will find this, Lord, I can't do it without you. I need you, i.e. dependence. And that's exactly where God wants us. So who is that person in your life? It it might be as simple as the politicians that are running this country amok. They're destroying what we considered, um, we're Americans and we love our country. and, And look at what these people are doing. And maybe there's a bitterness and anger. And when you speak of these politicians, there's no respect. There's just, um, what is the word? I can't even think of just a, what? <laughs> just disdain. And everyone around you know that. I, I started falling into that. It might be a parent or a relative who has deeply wounded you or maybe even violated you. That's the person who has hurt you deeply. It might be a worker a co-worker who has spread lies about you. It might be a husband or a wife who is really just very difficult to live with. Just hurt after hurt after hurt. And maybe they smile here, but there's a battle out there when you go home. Or maybe it's an ex, and you still have to see that person because children are involved. And every time you just like your stomach twists because you remember all the hard things that you've had to go through. It might be a child who has rebelled against you and just broken your heart to such an extent that you can't even pray for it because you had such high expectations of what that child would be and they've gone totally opposite. It might be an ex-friend. You called them one of your kindred spirit, but now they are totally against you and they've even spread untruths about you and, and it just it even hurts just to think of their name for teens it might be a bully at school again maybe it's an ex-friend at school but now they have just made life very very difficult for you or it might be an in-law father-in-law daughter-in-law son-in-law mother-in-law I don't know some in-law outlaw 
You got married thinking you're going to be part of their family and they have made it very clear they don't even want you in the family. Now, see, when it says those who persecute you, those who made it hard, those who have hurt you and wounded you, there's a lot of people out there. And I would assume that you all have someone like that. And and again, how, Lord? I come to your table. You want me to be prepared. You want me to say that I'm actually obeying you. There's this person... In fact, I've just put them out. Every time I think of them, I just think even words of cursing in my mind or for sure I don't bless them. Lord, how can I, first of all, start moving down this path? I would say, first of all, you have to remember the Lord Jesus Christ himself. See, he is our supreme example of blessing because when he was being persecuted, when he was hanging on the cross, he became our sin bearer. He could have destroyed the world. He became our sin bearer. He was the perfect Son of God who came to die for sinners. He loved us. He had mercy on us. He had grace on us. In fact, even on the cross, he prayed for those who were hurting him, saying, Father, forgive them. And that was a prayer that was answered. Many came to Christ after his resurrection, including some who were there trying to destroy him at that moment. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. But you say, well, that's the the Son of God. Of course, He did it perfect. Well, think of just in, uh, in the book of Acts, Stephen. As the stones were crushing him, this is what he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And it was through that the Apostle Paul heard, and I, I believe, believed. <laughs> he saw the example of Stephen. So our Lord gave us the example to follow. Peter tells us that, that we should follow after him. We're going to see that in a moment. So we're called to bless. We're called to bless like Jesus did, like the apostle did, like so many Christians throughout, excuse me, that Stephen did, that so many other Christians throughout history have done. We're called to bless those who persecute now, the word persecute means to press hard after. It's kind of like, <laughs> I hate to use this thing, but um, this last week, Paul got bit by a dog. Some of you knew that. <laughs> well, let me tell you, that's not what the word persecute means. Because that dog just kind of nipped him, although it made a big, and then went on, ran. Persecute means the type of dog that comes after you, slavering, and he keeps after you. In other words, he doesn't stop. He doesn't stop when you fall on the ground. He doesn't even stop until you stop breathing. That's the type of word persecute means. That he is pursuing with all earnestness and diligence. That's the type of person we're supposed to bless. Kenneth Weiss, the Greek scholar, wrote, this is how he translated it. Be constantly blessing those who are constantly persecuting you. It sounds so so much like Jesus when he said in Matthew 5, verse 44, I say to you, love your enemies. And again, he says that in the present imperative. Continually love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Present imperative. Continually bless those who curse you. Again, same verb tense. Do good to those who hate you. Continually Again, in the command for, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That word spitefully means to insult, who just degrade you. They throw sneers at you, they malign you, they lie about you. 
that, then he goes on, Matthew 5.44, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. That word that you may be, it doesn't mean that you become a Christian because you do this, but it proves that you are a Christian. Christians produce fruit. You know the fruit that we produce? Love. You know the, the type of fruit we produce? Blessing. Patience. Kindness towards those who hurt us. Jesus said, what good is it if you just return blessing for those who bless you? How about those who curse you? You know, One guy said this, we need to pray for those, P-R-A-Y, pray for those who pray on us, P-R-E-Y. I mean, this is radical. We're not supposed to retaliate, which would be so automatic. This is the true put-off, put-on. You know, the put-off, put-on principle where you're supposed to put something off. It would be natural to curse, but he says, no, bless. That's where we really see the power of God. I think it would be good to, to repeat this passage again. Let's repeat it together. Bless those who persecute you, Bless and do not curse. Again, imperatives. Bless is an imperative. Bless is an imperative. Twice. God doesn't want us to to miss it. The uh, Voice of Martyrs magazine that we, uh, where her picture was on, Ubelina's picture was on, was was started by a a man. That organization was started by a man named Richard Wombrand. He was, I think, a Romanian pastor. He was in jail for many, many years. When he finally got out of uh, prison uh, in Russia, um, he started that organization. He wanted to let people know of suffering around the world, and that's what that, uh, the mission is. They, they, allow, they help us to understand the suffering that's going on all around the world. But Richard Rumbrand, uh, after he was released, he was always asked this question. This was one of the questions that was continually asked of this man because he had been in jail. I think it was like 15 years. I may be wrong at that, but it was just and, and tortured. I mean, you know, it wasn't. Uh, I mean, prison was very different than prison here. And he was asked this question: How how can you love someone who is torturing you? His answer is astonishing. By looking at men, not as they are, but as they will be. He goes on. I could also see in our persecutors a Saul of Tarsus, who would be a future Apostle Paul. Many officers of the secret police to whom we witness became Christians and were happy to later suffer in prison for having found our Christ. Although we were whipped, as Paul was in our... In our jailers, we saw the potential of the jailer in Philippi who became a convert. We dreamed that soon they would ask, what must I do to be saved? That's what kept them going. That's why they could love their persecutors. It wasn't for what was happening to them, but what could happen as they represented Christ. And many of them received Christ themselves. Those who at one time were hurting Christians became Christians themselves. Again, as I mentioned Jesus' example in uh, 1 Peter 2, uh, Peter writes this of Christ, For to this you were called, because Christ has suffered for us, leaving us an example. He's left us this example of how we should suffer, that you should follow his steps. So we're actually called to follow in the steps of our Savior who suffered for us. Who committed no sin, he was perfect, nor was deceit found in his mouth, 
who when he was, was reviled, others reviled him, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but, catch this, but committed himself to him, that's God, who judges righteously. How could Jesus suffer when he was perfect? He suffered, he, he suffered perfectly because he just committed himself to God. He's the righteous judge. It's not given to me to judge. That's why I can love. That's why you can love. It's not about us getting our way. Vengeance is not ours. It's God's. And so we're willing to take hurts. We're willing to suffer because it honors Christ. Now, again, if you look at the passage, remember how we looked at verses 9 through 13 last couple weeks and we said these are like foundational thoughts of the supernatural life? He's, he's like stepped it up now. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to talk about being kindly affectionate to one another, brothers in the Lord, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence. Keep, I mean, that's hard. It is hard to keep passionate about other believers. There's a tendency, just like in your own family, you, you say, I do, and you think, oh, everything is perfect. You know, married life is going to be great. Everything, you know, and I'm going to love her. I'm going to love him to the day I die. But time, give it time, and sometimes passion wanes. They start irritating you. Why does she squeeze t- toothpaste from that end? You know, I, those are so small. Now we we stepped it up a notch. Bless those who persecute you. Do good to those who are hurting you. Ask God to give them, be gracious to them. Don't hold their sin against them. Well, let's go to the second part. What we Christians are not to do. Bless and do not curse. Now again, that's an imperative. Bless them, don't curse them. Again, the, the word curse doesn't really mean, this is very important, it doesn't mean swearing, really, or profanity. It means to wish evil upon someone, to wish doom on them. In fact, the construction of this, and this is, comes from Weist, it's, he says this, the construction of the Greek forbids the continuance of an action already going on. Stop doing what you're doing, in other words. Well, think about the Christians in Rome. All those tortures. And he's telling them, don't keep cursing that, the Romans. Stop cursing. He's, he's writing to the Roman Christians and saying, stop cursing. Why? Because they were. See, we always think that the, 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 the Christians at Rome just took it. I'm not saying they didn't. But do you think in the flesh there would have been a an attitude of wanting to curse the the emperor and curse the soldiers that were tying your children up in um, the skins of of animals and see them torn apart? Do you think that you you would want to have the fire of heaven come down on Nero? And Paul says, stop cursing. Hey, humans all can fall back into the unredeemed flesh, right? See, we are also being warned here against using wicked words towards those who are doing destructive things to us. You know, you might say, well, what are some of those things that we can speak from our mouth? I wish you would just die. You may not tell it to the person, but you would maybe think it yourself, or maybe you've prayed it. Just strike them dead, Lord, please. So-and-so just go to hell. Now think about that. The greatest judgment out there, final, right? Final, second death. Just go to hell. You're such a worthless human being, and you say it with all that intensity in your soul. 
Or as people swear, and they use this word, but think about it. This is the cursing of God. God damn you. Let God damn you. I mean, it's all this evil that can, you know, James says, how can blessing and cursing come from the same mouth? And that's why Paul, or, yeah, Paul says, you know, bless. Bless. It shouldn't even be on my heart. I may not say it, but it shouldn't even be in my heart. So again, the word curse means to wish evil upon someone, even going so far as to ask God to bring injury and harm and misfortune into their life. God says that's not what... No, stop doing that. And again, immediately we like push back. What do you mean? They've hurt us. They've hurt my family. No, that's why a few weeks ago we looked at 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind. But at the very end of that, it says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And you might say, well, why would a person curse? We curse when we become the focus. Now, I want you to get that. We bless when God is the focus. We curse when we are the focus. Because I'm hurt. It's a self-centered reaction. And let's face it, if it's all about him, then it's... I don't have the picture of her. She will have to live with that face for the rest of her life. She can either get bitter or she can get better. You know, it reminds me of the premier, Soviet premier Khrushchev. Once he said this, the difference between communism and Christianity is great. He was not a wise man, but this was correct. You know, the guy that pounded the shoe. When someone strikes you on the face, you turn the other cheek. Talking about Christians. If you strike me on the face, I'll hit you so hard that your head will fall off. See, he says, I'm going to retaliate. The question to you is, do you act more like a communist or a Christian? It was our president, Abraham Lincoln, when he was being criticized for how he treated his enemies and his opponents, that he said this, why do you try to make friends with them? The people would ask Lincoln, why do you try to make friends with your opponents? And he he would reply like this, you know, why not destroy them? He says, am I not destroying my enemies when I make them my friends? It's really, it's like a repeat of verse 21 where it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I mean, how can I, how can I possibly win them over if they strike at me and I strike them back? So again, we're called to bless. And it it makes perfect sense because Jesus has blessed us as we have received him. And you know what? Not only that, but it says in Galatians that he has taken our curse from us. The curse that should have been on us, he took. So how can I curse when I've only been blessed by God? Final point is this. Not only are we supposed to bless, not only are we not supposed to curse. He tells us, listen, make sure you bless. By the way, this is very important. It's the old put off, put on. The put on says this, that you don't just eliminate an action, you actually have to replace it. So the idea is just is not just stop cursing, but he says, listen, you need to stop cursing and start blessing. Remember that in all of your life. If you have an issue and you're, trying to, you're dealing with a sin, don't just try to stop doing the sin. You have to replace it. Stop cursing, yes. Start blessing, yes. 
Third point, persecution will become more prevalent. See, when Jesus came to this earth, he did not teach the prosperity gospel. He taught the persecution gospel. That's really what Jesus taught, right? It wasn't prosperity he taught. Even in Matthew chapter 5, this is what he said. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For thou, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He didn't, he, didn't pre- he didn't preach the prosperity gospel. He preached the persecution gospel. You will be persecuted. You will, if you are living godly, the world's going to hate you. A few other passages. John 15. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. John 16. Jesus adds, in this world, you'll have trouble. You're going to have trouble. And as I've said many times, there have been more Christians that have died in the last century than all 19 combined before that. I mean, it's, it's, it's becoming more and more rampant, persecution against Christians. Jesus said, you're going to be persecuted. And, and I, I believe this, the closer he comes to returning, the more and more it's going to happen. We need to know how to deal with this. But I bet you, I bet you, I believe that probably the Lord is putting into your life right now some problems, some hurts, some people who have wounded you, some that do not want to make things right. And he's saying, okay, how are you going to handle that one? Because if you can't handle the Christian who can't, you know, that is somehow irritated with you and maybe said some hard things to you, how are you going to do it when, when, when the person actually wants to really hurt you and kill you? And, and I, if, if you are a thinking person, you keep saying, Lord, oh, Lord, this is just you. I can't do it on my own. Don't be surprised when it comes. Don't be surprised when you're hurt. It's all part of God's plan. It's all part of God's plan. In fact, the Osberg Confession said it this way, of the church of Jesus Christ, the community of believers, they said this, those who are persecuted and martyred for the gospel's sake. That's how they define the church in that old confession. Those who are hurt, those who are persecuted, for the gospel's sake. Yeah, it, it's definitely going to happen. Second Timothy says, Yes, everyone who desires to live godly, a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's coming. And you're probably living with it right now. Maybe, again, not persecution where they're trying to kill you, but the hurts and the woundedness of, of other people and how you have interacted with others. They might be believers, they may be unbelievers. But there are hurts in your life. And how have you been dealing with those? Let me just end with one final point and then ask you a few questions. Why is persecution so prevalent? Why is it there have been more people who have died for Jesus Christ in in the last century than all 19 centuries before that? Why is it? I think John Piper brings up a good point. He says this, It's due to the nature of Christianity and the sinfulness of human beings. It's because of the nature of who we are. There is such a tension between the message and the way of life of Christians and the mindset and the way of life for, a, for the world. See, they're in opposition. There's a conflict. It's inevitable. He goes on, he says, We will be persecuted because of the life we live and because of the Lord we love. Sadly, we've made the Christian life, he writes, way too painless. We've gone along and gotten along. We, we, uh, let me ask a few th- questions. What have you done in the last month that has caused anyone to challenge your faith? Many times we're like secret service Christians. Nobody even knows. When have you risked speaking out for Jesus? 
How have you defended the cause of Christ? Have you identified yourself as Christ's followers? Maybe you've not said anything against Jesus. Maybe you haven't said it against him, but maybe you haven't said anything at all. And he ends with this. Perhaps you're not persecuted because people don't see the Savior in your life. We just say enough to you know, not feel guilty, but we don't proclaim who he really is. He might get upset. She might be offended. And you know who's really offending that whole thing? Jesus. He's the one that's offended because we are supposed to be lights in a dark world. And if we are lights in a dark world, as Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. He could have not, it would have been very easy for him not to have been persecuted and died if he had just not said certain things. Don't proclaim yourself to be the son of God. Don't proclaim yourself to be the only way. Just fit in. Just get along. And he never would have gone to the cross. So as we come to the table today, I want to ask three questions. The first set of questions is this. Are you in communion with Christ? Are you in communion with Christ? Does Jesus Christ occupy first place in your life? If you said, well, you know, I could have spoke for him, but I chose not to. He's not taking first place. You need to confess that. Have you stood for him? Are you actively following him? Even though the person might say, I don't like you. In fact, I hate you. In fact, I wish you were fired. I wish you weren't even my son-in-law. The second question. By the way, I have a great son-in-law. But, but do you, see what, you know what I mean? You just don't say certain things and you get along. But Jesus Christ is not exalted. How about the second set of questions? Am I in communion with those in the church? Am I in sync with other believers? You know, have... Have you grown weary of working out issues within the church and you just wish, man, maybe it's, oh, it's so hard to deal with Christians. And yet, you know what we're proclaiming right here? Unity. We're proclaiming unity with God the Father and the, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And we're also proclaiming unity with one another. Do not take the cup, do not take the bread unless you are in fellowship with one another. Or at least do this, Lord, as soon as I'm done, I will deal with this issue. It's been on my heart for many, many, many moons, but I need to deal with it now. No, make sure you're in fellowship with other believers. And finally, have you sought to bless or are you actually cursing others? Maybe it's not believers, maybe these are unbelievers. Someone that has hurt you, God's saying, will you pray for them? Will you ask my blessing on their life? Or have you been self-focused? Again, do not take the cup because that's disobedience. These are imperatives. These are commands. But if you say, Lord, yes, I I have been wrong. I've been getting bitter and anger and there's resentment. Lord, please forgive me for that. And I'm going to work things out. I've tried working out and they said I don't want, they want nothing to do with me. But I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to, when I, what I can do, I will do to see blessing in their life, even though they do not like me. They even hate me. See, that's the supernatural Christian that comes before the table and says, Lord, I'm just your servant. I surrender to you. I surrender to you. It's not about me. It's about honoring you.